Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Mike Freeman. Enjoy. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, and Pastor Mike is going to be leading us through what is a pretty challenging passage. Uh, But we're going to start with a video from our friends at the Bible Project. They do such an amazing job at taking concepts and making them accessible and understandable. And so they're going to take us through the law um, with the, the Bible Project video. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. 
And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. There we go. Okay. All right, there we go. I don't suppose we could get away with that just being the sermon today. Some of you are saying, yes, please, let's just let that be the sermon today. And that would be wisdom. Okay, I just have to unpack a little bit here. Okay. Um, and, and my battery? Okay, not my battery, but my battery is... Um, well, it's just... Actually, this would apply to both. It can be just a bit unpredictable. There are times where... Well, this will last. I mean, it used to be the battery on this would take me until I would get down to 35 and then it would die. But now it's dying a whole lot sooner. It can die unpredictably at 92% or 89. I've had it die at 96. So I don't want it to die because God's not about that, right? Um, so I'm plugging it in and now we can count how many times I trip over it as I walk by. Okay, just the last bit of prep here. How are you all? Glorious people, you. Okay, so yes, we are, we're doing Galatians, and today's title is um, Crippling Legalism is Done. It is kaput. 
That's actually a title I think I just slapped on this Sunday, oh, probably a couple months ago, and it, it's still there, so it's the one we're running with. And yet I, I look at that title, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, our legalism, legalism is just an excessive, it's somebody who's just a little bit obsessive-compulsive when it comes to rules. All right, an excessive focus on rules and rule-keeping. We could perhaps say, maybe because of its crippling legalism, it's not just excessive, it's come to the point where it's toxic. It's a toxic obsession with rule-keeping that tends to value principles over people and behavior over belonging. Um, so I look at that, okay, crippling legalism is done. And, and the problem with that very simply is this, and that's right, what kind of a lesson is this going to be? I'm already arguing with the title. Um, problem is this, I do a lot of funerals. Uh, just the last one I did was, was an outdoor, uh, it was a graveside service. They had, they had the ashes and they had a hole. First time I remember seeing an actual burial take place of, of ashes uh, out there at the Cloverdale Cemetery. And, and, and so there are the ashes, and it's lowered into the hole, and then each family member took the shovel and shoveled dirt in turn on it. They asked if there was a blessing for the dirt that I could pronounce, and I came up with a blessing for the dirt. But what I find in such moments, and that was the death not of somebody who was nine, but of someone who was 97. And so... You would think, well, it was her time, but it's never time. When, when death rends us, it's just never time. It never feels in time. I can quote Ecclesiastes 3 as often as I want. There's a time for this, time for this, time to be born, time to die, yada, 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 yada. But it never feels like it's time, and it rends our hearts. And so typically at a graveside service, I'll find myself leaning into 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul has this, well, it's a quotation from Old Testament prophets that... Oh, death, where is thy sting? And I just look at them honestly in the face, and I say, well, Paul, it's right here. That's where the sting is. It's right here. And when I think of crippling legalism is done, okay, Yes to that, let's lean into that, but I find myself likewise just having to be honest as I look at all of you glorious, wondrous people and say, first of all, legalism, crippling legalism is, okay, is this the right camera? Am I looking at the right one? Is that the one that's like filming me and taking this out to other places? No, where is it? Where is it? Oh, it's that one. There you are. You thought you, could, you, you thought you could deflect me. Where is legalism? Right there. It's right there. That makes you all very happy, doesn't it? Because I'm pointing out there into the nether world of web, and of course it's right there. Crippling legalism is right here. Oh, and most important of all, it's right here. Because the moment we think we're immune, oh, you've got it. And you can mask up all you want, and you can get yourself jabbed as many times as you want. You've got it. And so awareness is the first thing. So 
not going to lean so much into crippling legalism is done. That's the pronouncement of, yes, may it be so, Lord, and we live in hope. We want to move towards that. We're leading into that with Galatians. But let's just be aware of who we are and where our tendencies lie. So this would be kind of preaching today's sermon several times. Imagine that, a pastor preaching the same sermon several times. I just promise not to make you stand up until this one is actually fully done. Promise. I really promise. This would be the second sermon, second telling of the same sermon. It's just a story. It's, it's told by Leonard Sweet in The Well-Played Life. Why pleasing God doesn't have to be such hard work. That's actually not a bad title also. Pleasing God doesn't have to be such hard work. It can actually be more God play. Okay, here's the story. A 19th century immigrant, after passing through Ellis Island by way of the Statue of Liberty, was found walking the tracks of the Lehigh Valley Railroad in New Jersey. On his back and in his arms, he carried everything he had brought from the old country. So, so just, just imagine the picture. He's laboring, laboring along the tracks, carrying all of his earthly goods with him on the track of freedom in New Jersey, right? Though fatigued and footsore, he shuffled along the rails until an agent stopped him and warned him to get off the tracks lest he be hit by a train or arrested for trespassing. The man refused, instead producing a railroad ticket good from Jersey City to Scranton. The agent looked at him in shock and asked why he was walking when he could ride. The immigrant said he thought the ticket gave him only the privilege of walking the rails. He almost danced for joy when he learned he could actually ride the train instead of trudging the tracks. That's another really good title. He could actually ride the train instead of trudging the tracks. Imagine that. Which, um, okay, this would be another alternate title page. You have a ticket to ride. And if you want to go to the Beatles and their songs, just go for it. Just come back to me. Okay, you have a ticket to ride. So why do you insist on walking or trudging on the rails? That's the difference between the freedom that's being described in Galatians and the path of what we would describe as a crippling legalism. We are not condemned to trudge rails. We have the freedom to actually ride. All right, so that's story number two or sermon number two. Um, but of course, wisdom, again, would I would press on because we have Galatians here. Now, Galatians is, is a letter. Now, we, we've got this chart and, and uh, Brent put this up a couple weeks back when he taught and said, here is here's Galatians, Bible Project uh, chart of Galatians. And it's like, what a mess that is. Now, let's just cut it off a little bit. The next, uh, the next slide just gives us chapters 1 through 3. And it really is just 1 through 3. If you actually listen to the Bible Project video on Galatians, they actually kind of skip chapter 4. All right? Because there's just so much in here. How can we pack this all in here? And so that's all we've actually done the last four weeks is just that. All right? And we've had some very skillful and adept unpacking of this, which is good. Unpack what it says, but the, the drumbeat that I will continue to emphasize is that, well, the kind of literature we're dealing with matters. You don't read poetry the way you would science fiction. 
right? or science fiction the way you would poetry. Actually, sometimes there's a lot of fantasy going on in both. But the point is, genre matters, right? And this is what genre? It's a letter. And what do you do with a letter? Well, the letter has, well, it's got your name on it, and it's got a return address, and then there is a letter. And if they're merciful, obviously this person's not a pastor because it all fits neatly, neatly right here. And here it is. And I took this and I did not start analyzing and, 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 and doing a, oh, I don't know, analysis of the handwriting and, and starting to, to dig into the words. I just listened to the letter, which happened to be from, uh, from Betty Turner. It is a pleasure to write you this handwritten note to say thank you for the care and time and preparation you put into writing the devotions. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She's been extremely generous. But she took the time to handwrite it because we've been emphasizing it's a letter. People don't write, we don't do letters anymore. And she's like, I do letters. <laughs> and yes, there are still some dinosaurs that sometimes write a letter. Smiley face. So letters can use emojis, okay? <laughs> Betty, all right? That's what we do with letters. You read the letter. So what I'd like to do, and I honestly don't know how much time I have to do everything that could be done, could be said, should be said, needs to be said. I'm just going to set myself free from that expectation and just do what I think is really the main point and the main thing I want you to take away from this, mor this morning which is I just want you to hear the letter. And most, most of the time, this works pretty well. Um, um, my, my history, very simply, uh, for, oh gosh, it's almost like 50 years now of doing this, this whole Jesus business, um, got in very early to reading Scripture and memorizing Scripture, and I just did it for me. It's how I drew near to God. It's what worked. Tried journaling, eh, not so much, but memorizing Scripture was great. And the church was always talking about the letters, so I memorized the letters, like all the letters in the New Testament. I just memorized them, and then I carried with them with me everywhere. And this last year, as I've been doing these early morning walks, is just part of a new pattern of life. I would just take letters with me. And I found that, for instance... Galatians preaches really nicely in about one mile. Just about 17 minutes, 18 minutes maybe. Just depends on how many times I stop, how many times I get lost in Galatians and find myself in Ephesians. So, so this is a, a frequent thing that I do, and I just want to bring it to you this morning, but just the three pages we've already done. I want you to hear the flow of the letter. We've looked at it in pieces very well. Let's take a moment and breathe and just hear the letter, and then we'll see what more needs to be said, okay? All right, and let's hope this works. If I end up in Ephesians or Colossians or blank out, I apologize. Um, okay, lay your burdens down. Here we go. Okay, now I'm going to be moving a lot, just so you know back. I, don't, I think they're just going wide, and that's probably wisdom, uh, because I'm going to be moving a lot. This is actually a distance of 430 years, okay, is what this is. And so I'm going to be moving a lot. Ideally, I would love it to be there, but it gets complicated. So it'll just be from here to there, and that's a bit of a challenge. Okay, two key points in time. Here we go. Galatians. Paul an apostle, not from men nor by any man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to say nothing of the sisters to the churches of Galatia, you pale-skinned wonders mostly. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age in accordance to the will of our God and Father, who raised him from the dead. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Only there are some who are troubling you and who want to pervert the good news into something that is most definitely not good news at all. They want to pervert the gospel that was given to you. But though we or an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be under God's heel of cursing forever. As I said before, so say now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be under God's heel of cursing forever. So, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach to you is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from men, nor was I taught it, but rather it came to me through revelation of Jesus Christ. You all know my previous way of life in the Jewish religion, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in the Jewish religion beyond many of my own age. I was exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who called me from my mother's womb. He set me apart from birth and called me by his grace to reveal his son, not just to me, but in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia to do business with God and then returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Kepha. That would be the rock, Peter. And I stayed with him for 15 days. We swapped stories. But I didn't see any of the other apostles. Only Yaakov, Jacob, James, the Lord's brother. Now, I assure you, in what I'm writing to you now, before God, I am not lying. Afterwards, I went into the reasons of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ Jesus. They just heard the report that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. <sighs> Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and I also took along Titus. And I went up by revelation, and I laid before them the gospel, the good news that I preach among the non-Jews. But I did this privately before the esteemed ones, for fear I was running or had run my race in vain, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a fully-blooded, a, a full-blooded, fully foreskinned Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this matter only arose because of false teachers who secretly infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them, no, not for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And as for those esteemed to be something, you know, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. 
These people added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with preaching the gospel to the non-Jews, just just as Kepha had been to the Jews. For God who was at work in the ministry of Kepha to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the non-Jews. Kepha, Yaakov, Yohanan, Peter, James, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they saw the grace that had been given to me. They agreed that we should go to the non-Jews and they to the Jews. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, which is what I was eager to do already. Ah, but now when Kepha came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. You see, before certain people came from Yaakov, from James, you know, the circumscribing circumcisers, before they came, Kepha was eating with the Gentiles. But they show up, and he <clears throat> makes his apologies and exits and begins to retreat, slowly backing off from them, and he starts a virtual stampede, the rest of the Jews following him in his, in his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away in the hypocrisy of them all. Now, when I saw they were not walking in line with the truth of what is in reality the good news, I said to Kepha in front of them all, you are a Jew! Yeah, you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How then can you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? I was getting just a little bit disturbed. See, we who are Jews by nature and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ Jesus so we might be justified by faith and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. But, but if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes clear that we ourselves are outside the bounds of law, lawless like Gentiles. Well, does that mean Christ promotes sin and law-breaking? Absolutely not. But if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For I, through the law, die to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be obtained through the law and Christ died for nothing. Oh, Galatians. You pale-skinned wonders, witless, have you lost your flipping minds? Has somebody cast a spell on you so that you're like so many hypnotized chickens on the porch of religion, and I've got to come along and boot you off one after another back into consciousness? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed crucified. So, just tell me this one thing. Did you receive the Spirit, the life-giving breath of God, because you meticulously follow all the rules? Or because you believe what you heard? Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, with the life-empowering breath of God, you think somehow now you're going to finish this with a huffing and puffing of human efforts? Have you experienced and suffered so many things for nothing? If it really was for nothing, 
Does God supply you with his empowering breath and do miracles among you day after day after day after day because you meticulously keep all of the rules or because you have a posture of saying, speak, Lord, your servant hears. It's the hearing of faith. Well, consider Abraham. Abraham believed God and so was squared with God. So then those who believe are children of Abraham. It's that simple. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel in advance to Abraham saying, in you, all the non-Jews, all Jews will be blessed. And so then those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who rely upon observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Okay, and just a slight segue here, people. This is just the Torah, just the first five books on parchment in Hebrew. I went and taught one time in um, the school on the other side, this like, oh gosh, decade more ago. And I brought this scroll, this is how we got the Bible and such. And I said, you want to know how long this is? Let's find out. And we stood at one end of the children's wing with one child there, and they stretched it out and stretched all the way from one side to the other. And they were so impressed. And I said, that's just the first five books. And guess what? It's also where all of the commands are, 613 of them, as so codified by Maimonides, the Jewish rabbi in the 12th century. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified by observing the law because well, it also says in here, the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but whoever does these things will live because of them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. He redeemed us so the blessing of Abraham might come upon all ethnicities, all people everywhere. He redeemed us so the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Now, let me. You're so eager for me to be done. Okay, I will take that as an opportunity. Okay, there we go. My brothers and sisters, my kith, my kith and kin, let me take an example from everyday life just to make sure we're all getting the point here. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that is duly established, so it is in this case. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, meaning many, but to your seed, meaning one, namely Christ. And the point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends upon the law, then it's no longer based upon a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, so what then is the purpose of the law? Well, it was added 
It was thrown into the relational mix of the people because of their proven proclivity to make a total mess of things. It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. The law was put into effect by angels through a mediator. And a mediator doesn't represent just one party. So there are layers here, channels through, through which it passed. It's a bit complicated. But God is just one party. The promise, unilateral and direct. Well, is the law then against the promises of God? Absolutely not. In fact, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Ah, but before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until the faith would be revealed. So the law was put in charge. It became our pedagogue to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And now the faith has come. We're no longer under the pedagogue's domain. For you are all God's kids. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as took the baptismal plunge into Christ, emerged fully clothed with Christ. And here there is no Jew or Greek. Here there is no slave or free. Here there is no male or female. You all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay. This is God's word. Okay. Okay. So now I just have, I just have the 20 other slides in this presentation. I do actually just want to go Paul basically is just, I want to make sure we're on the same page. I'm just very quickly going to work through. I mean, really, it will be. I just want to read through. It's a matter of emphasis. Because hopefully you get it. I'm hoping you get it. I'm hoping, listening, you get it. You understand. You understand the journey. And you understand the huffing and puffing that's involved of trying to somehow combine these in a way that they were not meant to be combined. I'm hoping that you get it. Not just by the hearing, but by the seeing. But let's just back up, make sure we're on the same page. We'll be starting with 15. This is the Mike's amplified version, okay? So don't read on in your own. It'll just confuse things, probably. And you can compare later. 15, oh, my kith and kin, let's take this from an everyday human perspective. When people make a deal, a formal contract, signing and sealing it, no one can come along afterwards and randomly modify or nullify it, can they? So here's the deal. God made a deal with Abraham when promises were spoken to him and to his offspring after him. And let's be clear, that's offspring singular. He doesn't say to your seeds, meaning many, but to your seed, meaning one, namely Christ. And the point is this, a formal contract previously signed, sealed, and delivered by God himself can't be modified by a system of rules and commands introduced 430 years later. 
no matter how deeply chiseled in stone. And may I also say, it cannot be modified by one introduced 1,500 years later, no matter how gloriously illustrated it is in a parchment. So it doesn't nullify, it doesn't set it aside with the effect of rendering said promise null and void. And so we have this trek, verse 18, for if the inheritance is based on such a system of rules and commands, then it is no longer based on a promise. And God gave it to Abraham by a promise, and that gifting stands. Well, what then was the purpose of that system of rules and commands? It was added into the relational equation of the people because of their proven proclivity towards making a moral mess of things until such time as the specified seed should come to whom the promise had been made. That's Jesus. Jesus shows up. And please note, the system of rules and commands, all 613 of them, were enacted by means of an angelic interposition by the hand of a human go-between. Yes, it is complicated. Well... In other words, it was indirectly passed through channels, since having a go-between means that there are at least two parties to go-between. In other words, it's a bilateral arrangement, but God is just one party, and the promise unilateral and direct. Well, does this system of rules and commands stand opposed to the promises of God? How can I possibly shout no loud enough? They are not at war with each other. Stop trying to make them fight with each other. In fact, if a system of rules and commands had been able to deliver the goods and communicate life, this system of rules and commands represented in the Torah, well, it would have done so and squared us up quite nicely with God. But ancient writ leaves everyone and everything under lockdown in the prison of our deepening moral mess so that the promise accessed by deep-seated trust wrapped up in Jesus the Messiah might be given to those who exercise such deep-seated trust. But before this way of deep-seated trust showed up on the scene, we remained under the watchful eye of that system of rules and commands, cracking the whip of conformity. And so the way of deep-seated trust was revealed. And so then that system of rules and commands, all 613 of them, became the ever-present warden in the prison of our moral mess, keeping us in ourselves. Ourselves. Ooh, that's interesting. Keeping us in ourselves. In ourselves. With the intention of a full release into the arms of the Messiah so that we might be fully squared with God by exercising deep-seated trust in him. Okay, now, if you can find the slides that have the pedagogue thing, because the law was put in charge, okay? Well, I'm actually almost done. Just did a little bit of editing here and there. All right, the law, all right, the Torah, the scroll, 613 rules, all of this. Pedagogue. Now, most of us aren't familiar with the idea of a pedagogue. So we've got a couple of illustrations. I mean, first of all, just understanding Greek culture, a pedagogue was typically a male slave, because they did the whole slavery thing, you see. It was a male slave who was entrusted with a male child, and the male child did not leave the house without the pedagogue in tow, making sure that he ultimately arrives at the feet of the teacher, the Socrates, the Aristotle. And that's when the teacher opens wisdom. Law was our pedagogue leading us to the teacher. The law is not the teacher itself, ultimately. It's just the pedagogue. And you think of analogies. Well, you think of, well, Jiminy Cricket. What was Jiminy Cricket's one job with Pinocchio? Be the conscience, but effectively, as the conscience, to get Pinocchio 
Where? To school. That was the goal. Stay out of the path of Stromboli. Stay out of the path of Worthington Fowl Fellow. Honest John, right? Stay away from Pleasure Island. Try to keep from turning into a donkey. And get to school. How well did Jiminy Cricket do his job? Well, he kind of failed miserably. Because a wooden boy will do what a wooden boy will do. But yet he sticks with him all the way through the journey. And yes, he becomes a real boy. Now you can take the same thing and see it. Well, you can see it. Mary Poppins, same thing. Mary Poppins shows in. What does she do? She brings order to a house that's in total chaos. And then what does she do when that's done? She flies out. Beautiful job description for every pastor. <laughs> this is what we do. We're not supposed to linger around people. The, qu the question as a pastor or as one who is a discipler is, how quickly can I get out of a job? so that you in turn can go do the same thing and find out how quickly you can get out of a job because we get people where they need to be as long as I was supposed to pass them forward. The law passed us forward. Many of us don't want to be passed. It's passing us forward. It's a booster rocket. Booster rocket gets us up where we can finally be in orbit. If the booster rocket never detaches or we just don't want to let go of the booster rocket, there's rather calamitous consequences that follow. But don't hate that booster rocket. You wouldn't be where you are if it weren't for the booster rocket getting you up there where you can be. And now you're in orbit in a place because of that booster rocket that detached at just the right moment and fell back to Earth. Thank God for the booster rocket. Or the analogy that Paul uses in the letter is that of a warden. And, and if you, yeah, okay, this is actually Shawshank Redemption. I would not think that Ward, Warden Norton would be a really good metaphor for the law because he's like the most crooked. You just hate this man. You absolutely despise him. If we had something that was a little bit more accurate for how this function as a prison warden in the cell of ourselves, this would be a prison warden who's actually digging the hole because he wants us to get out because you don't belong in here. My whole job is to pass you forward where you're not obsessed with 613 rules and you're also not going to the pages of the New Testament to find, and yes, people have done so and found it, 1,050 commandments in the New Testament, which because of repetitions, okay, we reduced to 800. Wow. Wow, seriously. Paul would say, Idiots. Idiots. You've missed the entire point. You were passed forward. That's the pedagogue of the law. And now that this way of deep-seated trust has come, rocking the prison off its foundations, leaving every cell door wide open, we're no longer under the warden's watchful eye, for you are all God's kids through exercising deep-seated trust in the Messiah, Jesus. For as many as took the baptismal plunge into the Messiah, emerged fully outfitted with Messiah. The result, all the usual constricting and dividing human categories lie in the rubble of the prison we left behind. And now there is no or Greek. There is now, there is no slave or free. Paul's really emphatic here. Most just have, there is no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. Da, da, da. Paul's emphatic with each one of these. He repeats this. Now, now there is no Jew or Greek. Now there is no slave or free. Now there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you all belong at the same table. So get that table wide and open. 
because there's not a human being on the planet who is not an image bearer that Christ came to redeem. So who is not welcome at our table? That's what Paul is saying. He's kind of a radical fellow. Beth Moore in her study on Galatians, she says, love you, Beth Moore. This land, I think she's talking about our land, this land has yet to see a generation of Jesus followers with guts enough to live the good news. Galatians 3.28 preaches. Why couldn't it be ours? And so, oh, that's amazing. 11.31. I did enough editing. This is the last title I'll give you this morning. It's a multiple choice question. You pick the title. Right? Is it A, crippling legalism is done? Is it B, pleasing God is not such hard work? Is it C, you have a ticket to ride, so why are you trudging along the rails? Or is it good news? The prison has been rocked. So why would you stay in your cell? And now I'll say stand. Now, go ahead. You can say stand. Stand. Go ahead. Stand up. Because I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray. Oh, what's the application of this? I think I've already made it several times. So I can only say, get it? Father in heaven, help us to get it. The question that Beth Moore asked, Lord, is it, it just resounds. It resonates. It challenges. It, it, hopefully it offends, Lord, even. Lord, we're asking very simply, Lord, yeah, this land has yet to see a generation of Jesus followers with guts enough to live the good news. Galatians 3.28 preaches. Why couldn't it be this one? Okay, Lord, maybe that's just too broad of a brush. May there have been plenty that have done this, are doing this, and that's our hope, Lord. We want to say crippling legalism is done, and we have a wide open table to all of humanity. We want to say that, God. But Lord, help us to look at our table and how it's set. Now that is our table individually, on a family level, on a neighborhood level, on a community level, and it's on a this community of faith level. Let us see how this table is set. Thank you, Lord, that when you say there's no Jew or Greek, that there's no male or female, that you don't mean the erasure of our distinctives. You're just meaning those distinctives are no longer barriers to the open table of your grace in Jesus. They're no longer to be stumbling blocks they're no longer to be hang-ups, Lord. And that's frankly terrifying because we like a more discriminating guest list, to be honest, Lord. So, Father, zero in on the legalism in me. As much as I'm tempted just to look at it in thee out there, help me to zero in on in me, Lord. And help me to take the journey Help me, Lord, to move, not to stay stuck or to keep going back, but to truly move forward in the freedom 
that Paul is exulting in in this letter to the Galatians. So come, Lord. Make the application that's needed by us in this hour. Speak to our hearts. And break the bonds. And open up this table. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay. You've all been very good sports. Uh, yes. Thank you. All right. There are words of prayer that are going to magically appear on the screen. Did they? Okay, there we go. Oh, cloud of depression and sorrow. I probably just did that. Changing identity and name. Okay, there may be other things that aren't spoken here or that aren't up there, but things have been spoken or things have been stirred within you. Just don't leave without getting the touch of prayer. We'll have people up here available. I'll still be around someplace if you can tackle me quick enough. You can, but get, get prayer this morning. All right. And so, um, gosh, that's it. Just go out. Make the invisible God visible. Keep the table wide and flowing and surprise somebody by how readily you embrace them as a human being. Amen. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks. This is my song to you.